Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. What's happening, folks? We're glad that you're back and that you've joined us again for, uh, uh, how to put this, a thick section in Ezra. Is this one of those seven-hour podcasts we're talking about? Well, it might be, just to uh, to clarify things. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes that's necessary. Yeah, sometimes it is. And, but the, the flip side of that is we get to start a brand new book in the New Testament, and that is the book of the Acts of the Apostles. The Acts of who? The Apostles. Hmm. Yeah. Some of you have driven around, seen some church signs that say, Apostle so-and-so is at that church. No, they're not but we'll get into that later in that uh, that book. Ezra chapter 9. Let's do it. Ezra chapter 9. Uh, your title in your Bible, if you're in the ESV with us, says Ezra prays about intermarriage. Oof. Intermarriage. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 7, the Lord prohibited Israel from marrying the foreign nations. He said in Deuteronomy 7, 3, you shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. So this was a big concern of God's. And not only was it a big concern, but it, it, it happened. This, unfortunately, for Israel's sake, was one of the main ways in which they were led astray from following God by intermarrying with these uh, women from foreign nations that, that led them to practice idolatry. And so Ezra shows up on the scene here and he comes to find that Oh no! This is this is happening again, and he uh, he even in in praying and he, he prays here. And there's a there's an interesting thing about Ezra here, and and really Israel, and it's a way that God interacted with Israel where there's a corporate guilt. We see it with Daniel too, uh, when Daniel prays and repents on behalf of the nation of Israel. Right. Uh, Ezra here does something very similar, and he says down in verse six, he says, uh, "Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens." Mm. Uh, that was convicting for me to read and, and think about, okay, when's the last time that I was blushing and hanging my head over my own sin, let alone the sin of the nation around me, right? I mean, Ezra is somebody right. who loves God. And that's important for us as we set the context for what's coming in these these next few chapters. Ezra, as we already heard last, last time yesterday, is somebody who's devoted to the Lord, devoted to the law of the Lord, knew it deeply, knew his God deeply. Right. And here he is ashamed of the sin of the people. And he goes on and he talks about God's grace that they had experienced in being freed from exile and allowed to come back and rebuild the temple. And then he goes on and he says, and yet we're back here again and we're in danger of committing the same error that we committed previously and committed, having the same punishment as we had before. We don't want your wrath again, God. So he's praying this. And the people hear this, overhear this, participate in this with Ezra, and Ezra being the the effective leader he is, convicts them and convinces them that what they've done is wrong. But we've got this massive problem, and that is, what do we do with all of the Israelite men there who had married these foreign women? And some of them had children with them. You've got these families, these uh, these families that were, were brought together under a, a, a really in some ways an illegitimate marriage that God had prohibited and said, you are not to do this. This is not right. 
And now Ezra's there saying, we need to purify ourselves and be fully devoted to God. And the Israelites are realizing, oh man, we're in danger because they've still got these foreign wives. So two quick observations to help us fill out some of the details in this. First, in verse in verse one, chapter nine, notice that it is the officials who approach Ezra with this information. And so positively, this is likely a response or a result of Ezra's teaching ministry. He's there to teach the word of God. And therefore, as he's teaching, people are being convicted by this reality. So it seems like Ezra doesn't know that this is happening until it's reported to him by the very officials. So the leaders of the community bring it to his attention. Secondly, I want to clarify in verse two, the the way that Ezra talks about the holy race. You'll notice that there's a little subscript in your ESV Bible if you use that. And it says offspring. So when you see the word race there, we're not talking about an ethnic issue, primarily anyway. We're talking about a religious issue. This is not about whether someone's black or white or Mexican or or Native American, what have you. This is about a religious distinction that needs to be made. So when you see the word race, don't don't get that twisted. We're talking about religious distinctions here. So all that's to fill in some of the complications here. Ezra is being propelled into a situation that's already bad. He's not teaching, and then it happens as he's uh, as he's developing the people. He's being thrown into this a situation that's sinful and and naughty. N a g h n a u g h t y, not the other one. Um, well, I guess both. Now I think about it, we're both work. Naughty k n o t t y and naughty as in sinful. Both of those things are true in the situation, Word and he has to figure right out. There how to uh, how to untangle the mess and the the reality is is that he's going to have to get his hands dirty in this it's not pretty it's going to be hard to read this yeah and in super helpful clarification and setting the table for us there and he does have to get his hands dirty and so what he does is what we should do when we find ourselves in difficult situations too he he fasts and he prays right he seeks god in this and he's not just trusting himself. We've talked a couple times about Rehoboam's folly in going to the counselors that, you know, tickled his ears, so to speak, and believing them. And Ezra's not even doing that. He's, he's going straight to the source and he's going, okay, God, I, what do you want us to do here? What do we do here? This is not something that he's taking lightly that he's just flippantly going, okay, well, let's flip a coin heads. We're going to divorce all these women tails. We're going to just, you know, cover up the marriages. And he has to make a hard decision. And the decision that he makes after seeking God's counsel in this, and we can assume because of the testimony of who Ezra was up until this point, that that God responded to his his fasting and his praying with direction and guidance, even though God never com- explicitly in this text says, this is what you should do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we believe based on the character of Ezra and his relationship with God that he was convinced that this is what God wanted him to do. And so Ezra issues the decree that uh, that all of these Israelite men who had married these foreign women should divorce their wives. And this is where things get really hard for us. And we're here as your pastors to let you know this is difficult. This is hard. Um, this is not something that we can tie a nice little bow on for you and have you walk away and go, oh, okay. But this is something that God wanted his people to do, I believe, because of what was at stake? Hmm. We've talked about in society, the lesser of two evils concept. And I think we see that here, that God uses something that yes, is evil in divorce. He hates divorce as scripture makes clear. And yet he uses it here because it was the lesser of the two evils because of the threat to the people, the threat to the nation of Israel that existed if they had stayed in those marriages. Those those foreign women, those, those intermingled marriages were going to lead Israel astray. And so God 
allows what was not desirable from him, but he allows it because it was the lesser of two evils. And we should take heart too that Ezra and the leaders don't just do this in one fell swoop. They don't just make a broad brush decree that everyone needs to divorce everybody. No, in fact, just to reiterate the point made earlier, uh, think about Ruth the Moabitess. She's a foreigner, and yet she's viewed very favorably in Scripture. So again, it's not about race here. It's about the purity of the people and their religious devotion to Yahweh. The bottom of uh, chapter uh, verse 16 all the way through verse 17, you see that it takes them uh, about three three or four months to, to do this. December 458 through March 457 is what we're looking at here. This was slow, deliberative. This was thoughtful. This was, if you're going to do something wrong, if I put it this way, it's the best way to do the wrong thing. They're thoughtful, they're prayerful, I'm assuming, and they make their decisions after close and careful deliberation. And yet, Pastor Rod, this is hard, right? This is, is hard for us. Uh, we've talked about the concept of descriptive versus prescriptive right. before together on the podcast. I think here you get something that we would say certainly is descriptive over prescriptive. I'd when, say so. When you get into the New Testament, we have clear instruction from Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 regarding marriage and regarding divorce and even regarding situations where a believer finds themselves married to an unbeliever. Paul doesn't say, well, divorce them because you're not supposed to be married to an unbeliever lest they turn your heart astray. Mm-hmm. He says, remain in, in the marriage, stay where you're at. He talks about, yeah, if the, if the unbeliever leaves, let them leave. But for you as the Christian, no, you, you stay there. So maybe you're listening to this right now and, and you're in a situation like that. You're married to somebody who's not a believer and you're going, okay, does God, I'm, I'm reading Ezra, does God want me to divorce my spouse? We would say, no, there's clear teaching within the New Testament dispensation. That's another word that we've come up with a lot mm. of times in this podcast, that God's desire for the church is that we people remain in those marriages um, that we don't issue divorce just because a believer finds themselves married to an unbeliever here in this dispensation dealing with Israel because of his, his jealousy for his name and his desire for his people to be a pure people for his own possession. He's looking at, as at these Israelites in these polluted marriages saying, you, you've got to let them go. You've got to divorce them. Mm. And to your point, Pastor Rod, these are not people that are being divorced who are, are wanting to follow God because that's why the investigation was was made there. These are people who were actively still pursuing these false gods and goddesses that were tempting Israel to be led astray. Right. And I thought about you singles, uh, those of you who aren't married yet, carefully decide who it is that you're going to unite with for the rest of your life. Clearly, God see this as such a critical joining a union that he's willing to allow this to take place for the good purposes that he has down the line. Well, under the new covenant, again, we're not we're not opening the door for divorce just because someone's an unbeliever, but you should certainly do your due diligence in selecting the right spouse, prayerfully doing so, and making sure that you feel confident about their walk with the Lord. Absolutely. In, in the end of Ezra chapter 10, even, there's uh, not, not a hall of fame, but kind of a hall of shame. This is not one you want to be found in here. This is a, a list of all the people who were in these these bad marriages. Um, and uh, starting with the priests. Yeah. Starting with the priests, the leaders. Oof. And so they're recorded there. And it's a reminder to us that God does take our sin seriously. And there are consequences for it. Consequences that impact not just us, but other people too. Yeah. I mean, the children put away from these marriages too. the, yeah, it's, it's hard. My heart hurts. And yet we can trust the Lord. Um, this is not, in in this is not something that is, that is contradictory to the character of God. This is God operating as God has done before, using something evil to bring about good. And and we've seen that the ultimate example of that is the cross, right? Amen. 
Um, and we can all be certainly thankful for that. And it's the cross that we begin to see applied in our next study, which is the book of Acts. Mm, the Acts of the Apostles? Or is there any room for Acts of somebody else in this? Well, I mean, it's it's the Acts of the Apostles empowered by the Spirit, right? And I think we see that in Acts 1.8 when uh, in, in this opening chapter, the, the disciples are together, the apostles are together. Uh, Luke, by the way, is, is writing this. This is Luke part two, if you will. Um, and he's writing to Theophilus and he wants to kind of continue the story. Hey, here's what happened afterwards. And so Luke is the one that is recording these things for us. But he picks up with the ascension. The, the, the apostles come together and they're ready. They're going, okay, Jesus, you did the whole cross thing. <laughs> that was a little sketchy for a minute. We weren't sure what was going to happen. But then you rose to life again. We're great with that. We've stopped fishing. We're not doing that anymore. Now we're here. Let's go. Is it, is it now? Is the kingdom coming now? And Jesus says this in Acts 1.8. He says, it's not for you to know, verse 7, but now you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And what you're going to do, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then as he said those things, he's lifted up into the sky. So I guess to answer your question, Pastor Rod, yeah, it's the acts not just of the apostles, but the apostles empowered by the Holy Spirit to be the witnesses to Jesus. Right. And I see, I'm looking at verse one. It says, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. And just seems like he's leaving us on a cliffhanger. This is what he continued to do through his spirit in the life of his apostles. Yeah. And just a fun fact for you guys who are reading along with us, verse eight really kind of serves as a as a, as a nice overview of how the book of Acts is, is laid out. You'll see them progress from Jerusalem to, to Judea, to Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. So just to kind of something to keep in mind as you read through it, you'll be able to see some of that structural content as you make your way. By the way, we are still after the ends of the earth. So if you're listening to this and you're a follower of Jesus, hey, we, we're not done. We're still to be his witnesses. That's right. And for some of you, the ends of the earth is your next door neighbor. They're yeah, North Texas. Right, exactly. Uh, they need to hear. They need to hear the message. And so wherever you are, uh, wherever you're listening to this, think about where are the ends of the earth for you? Maybe for some of you, it's your dining room table. You've got family members that need to hear the gospel from right. you. Um, and so we need to be faithful, continued in serving the Lord. Well, Judas is gone, as we well know, right? right. And, uh, and so they're looking to replace Judas. And so they do something here. We've talked about it. In fact, we just talked about it a minute ago with the Old Testament, descriptive versus prescriptive. Mm. I think we, again, see that here in Acts chapter one. And let me tell y'all, just buckle up in the book of Acts because there's going to be a lot <laughs> that you're going to hear us say, descriptive, not prescriptive. Right. In other words, this is describing what took place, not necessarily prescribing what should always happen. Um, if you're looking to, to hire somebody, I wouldn't recommend doing necessarily what the apostles did here. Uh, you should probably go ahead and, and post your opening on Indeed or Monster.com or whatever and, <laughs> and, and find somebody that way. But instead, they, they make a decision by lots, by lots here. And, and this was a way of narrowing down from a, a group of people um, what appeared by chance from the outside looking in right. until they narrowed it down to, to two people and then they cast a lot again and then the one person was chosen. And yet we, we know or we trust that, that God was guiding all of this, that God was orchestrating all of this. And so though this was uh, somebody that was chosen by Lot, they were really ultimately chosen by God, but revealed to 
the apostles through this process of casting lots? Yeah, so we don't do lots today. We don't roll dice to determine who should be on the church staff or whether or not we should go to this church or that church. Uh, I really like the the pattern that was set just a few verses before that, where everybody's in the upper room devoting themselves to prayer about the next move, about how, how they were supposed to move forward. But in all things considered here, uh, just to, to, to bring it home for you, Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast in the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So the apostles are in a time of transition. There, Jesus just left. The Holy Spirit has not yet been uh, deployed, as it were. And so they're in this weird time frame of, okay, how do we have one foot in the Old Testament and one foot in the New Testament and figure out how to move forward? So again, descriptive because of the time and place that they're in. It's a time of transition. Exactly. And yet at the end, they cast lots. The lot fells on Matthias and he's numbered with the 11 apostles. Is he though? Is he really the 12th apostle? I guess that's up for debate. Well, it sounds like you've got a, a particular horse in that race. I'm at, maybe I do. Yep. Maybe I do. Maybe that horse sounds like the Apostle Paul. <laughs> hmm. Yikes. Yikes. 12 or 13 apostles. <laughs> I don't know if Matthias is really one of the guys, man. I don't know. We'll find out. I'm just saying. We'll get to heaven and he'll be like, yes, yes, I was. <laughs> they chose me. Oh, that's funny. Anyways, they're there. Whether you believe there's 11 at this point or 12 at this point, hey, chapter two is when stuff starts to happen. Because exciting. And, yeah. And uh, in the spirit is on the move. And so coming this Sunday at Compass Bible Church, nope. North Texas. Nope. Okay. Nope. Maybe we could just do a little bit of this. No. Okay. Nope. Nope. Right. But hey, we will catch you guys tomorrow to find out just what we were talking about here at the end of this podcast. <laughs> See you later. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.